Saturday morning, and welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. So I'm Tom Estabrook. Ah, September 20th. Where does the time fly? Having a great time later this afternoon. My brother's son's Jack is going to be four. Going to have a nice little time, a nice little party for Jack. Jack, happy birthday. Wanted to get that out of the way because, you know, that's the most important thing today. Secondly, radio show. Third, we sell some plants. So here we are. It's the 20th September. And like I was talking about last week, the growing season is kind of coming to an end. But the planting season, there still is time. Okay? So we need to consistently think about what we're doing in the fall. Okay, so you still have time to plant. It's a great time to get some odds and ends, nuts and bolts back in the ground. Hopefully you've been doing some dividing and some cleaning and, you know, there's a few leaves that are starting to kind of do their thing and foliage is looking good and we're in the full swing of fall here now, folks. So what's more than fall than planting spring bulbs? And we kind of ended the show last week you know, talking about bulbs and when to plant and all of that. So I'll kind of go back over that a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand what we're trying to do with bulbs. We are not trying to get our spring bulbs to grow at all. We are trying to get our spring bulbs to root, and that's the reason we plant them in the fall. Otherwise, we would plant them in the spring, and they would come up and they would bloom, and it would be just like every other plant we plant in the spring. But with bulbs, it's important that we plant them in the fall because they need to build root systems so they can flower for the following year. Now, when we talk bulbs, we're talking tulips and daffodils and crocus and hyacinth and, you know, all those beautiful plants that we see first thing in the spring. So the first thing is let's have a plan for our bulbs. So at this point, hopefully you've bought them. We're not going to plant them for a couple more weeks But having those in the closet where it's nice and dry and cool, perfect scenario. Again, like I said last week, don't forget the bulbs in the dark, cool closet. Remember them to plant them. So mark it on the calendar, first couple weeks of October, good time to plant otherwise, unless we have a real warm Indian summer spell, which can happen, and then we'll just push it back a week. Okay, so bulbs, let's talk about planting depth, okay, because this is always a a little bit of a confusing topic for folks. Bulbs, how do I know how deep to plant a bulb? It's always two and a half times the diameter of the bulb. Two to two and a half inch, you know, two to two and a half times the size of the bulb. So let's think about it. If you got a daffodil that's two inches, we're going to be six to seven inches probably deep. If you look at a bulb planter, they're typically maximum six inches deep. So there you go. If it's a real small bulb like crocus, you might be an inch and a half to two inches deep. So always look at the size of the bulb and that will correlate. Now, here's a pet peeve of mine. And it's fine for some people. I'm cool with it. If you're cool with it in your yard, it just bugs me. You drive by the yard, and you got soldiers in a row. 
those tulips, and you bought two packages, 30 bulbs, and you put 30 bulbs straight in a, in a line. Ugh. Bugs me. If it doesn't bug you, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine. I can't see it from my yard when I'm sitting on my porch. Okay? But when I'm driving down the road, I just shake my head, and then I go, ah, what were they thinking? So here's how I plant bulbs. I like a more naturalized look. I like a more old-fashioned look. Many bulbs, you buy them in packets of five or seven or 20 bulbs, whatever. The way I like to plant bulbs is you either take those bulbs and put them in your hand and you just toss them on the ground. Wherever they land, that's where you plant them. That's where Mother Nature wanted them to end up, okay? That's where some force out there said that bulb is supposed to be planted there. That's how I think you should do it, okay? Am I always right? My wife will say yes. Just like I look at her and say, why do you always have to be right? But that's how I like to plant bulbs, okay? So don't put soldiers in a row. The other thing is a package of bulbs, if you're buying crocus, that's meant to be planted in one clump. So when you're purchasing, think about if it's a package of daffodils, that's one clump. It's not one bulb over here, one bulb over there, one bulb over here. It's four, five, seven bulbs in a clump. You plant them in two or three square feet, and that's what you do. They're not one here, one there, and you think, oh, they're going to multiply and divide miraculously over the winter. It doesn't happen. So when you're buying packages, think of it as, okay, I'm going to do an area with this bulb. How many packages do I need? If you can't afford to buy that number of packages, do one area a season. So pick one type of bulb, buy as many as you can afford, and do that area to the best of your ability. Don't buy one package of 17 different bulbs and put one package here, there, everywhere. You're going to not do yourself justice. The one thing about bulbs is they need to be planted in masses. They're really the only thing that is blooming at that time. And to get that mass appeal that you love, every time you go to a nice commercial property that has great bulbs or you go to a botanical garden or a home in your neighborhood that has wonderful bulbs, if you look at it, They've massed their bulbs. They've planted a lot of one type, and then they've done other areas with another type, and they've also looked at the time of bloom. When they do tulips, they do early, mid-season, and late. They also do different types of crocus that bloom at different times, and they also use different types of daffodils. Okay? Is there anything that exciting about bulbs? No. Are there a ton of new, unbelievable varieties? No. Can you go online and see all kinds of pretty pictures? Yes. But my general feeling is traditional colors, traditional plants that always have done well, will always do well. Okay? So primarily we stick to tried and true, know which ones do well. You can find a million varieties out there, but like I said, Stick and do masses of one type. If it's just a yellow daffodil, that's fine. If it's a funky one with a bicolor, that's fine too. But stick to the things and do them in masses. 
Now, with bulbs, you've got to be concerned about deer, tulips specifically. So think about when you're planting bulbs where, well, maybe I'll keep the tulips a little closer. And I've said this on the show before, tulips are not a long-lived bulb. You're not going to get two, three, four seasons out of tulips. Treat them just like an annual. Daffodils, crocus, hyacinths, they come back for 20 years and look great for a long, long time. But when it comes to tulips, I like to plant them in the areas that I put my annuals. I put them around the steps where I put some of the annuals. I put them in areas that I know I'm going to get in there and dig. I lift the bulbs, I toss them. Now, you may not agree with that, and that's fine, but my experience is in most main soils, tulips do not do well year in and year out. If you look at the city of Portland and the huge tulip beds that they do, they're not leaving those in. They're planting those every year. So think about it when it comes to bulbs. Although tulips will come back year after year, I'm sure they're not doing as well as you would like. So if you want that big impact, plant them every year, lift them, toss them. They're not that expensive. You know, for $20, you get a lot of color and beauty and just a breath of spring. So, okay, I'm getting off bulbs because it's fall and there's so many other things that we need to think about. So now we're starting to get to that point where the old windows are closed most of the night and day. It's getting cold. Well, I still have the window open. I love it cold. So, but we've brought the houseplants probably in by now, or we should have, because it's getting pretty cold, still fairly warm, but... You know, we get to that frost time frame. We got to be careful. The house plants, so we're bringing them back in. So, what should we be doing with them? Should we repot them? Do we need to put, you know, some insecticide granules in there? Uh, what about fertilization? Uh, what about acclimation back into the house from a sunnier location to a shadier location? All the things. We'll talk a little bit more about that throughout the show. Fall fertilization, we talked about a little bit about that last week. We're going to wait, okay? Still too early. And let's talk, now we're talking fall is for decorating. Now we're in the peak of it. You know, get those pumpkins out. Get the corn stalks out. You know, now is the time when you put that mum on the step and it looks beautiful and, you know, bam! Apple picking. Corn mazes. Fall is for fun. So get out there and enjoy all these fall activities that we all absolutely love. There's nothing better than wonderful gourds, too. You can use them indoors. Silks. I know, silks. Did I say it? But I'm sorry, but for indoors, some of these high-quality silks are a wonderful addition for a a six or eight week time frame. You know, we've got a great selection of fall leaves and other things. The other thing you can do with some of these silks is you can stick them in the corn stalks. You can stick them in your window boxes. You can add some of these, and they look very real. Okay, now I am not a proponent of using silks in window boxes. I'm just going to say that right now. 
But when it comes to fall leaves and the look of that, they can be an addition. The other thing I love is probably your window boxes aren't looking all that great. I know mine aren't. You can put gourds, mini pumpkins. You can take and stick some ornamental grass plumes in the back of it and make a nice little, you know, array for fall. Use some squash, use some gourds, use some mini pumpkins. Just dress up what you have there. Just cut all the annuals off. Leave the soil in there and just set them on top of the window box. Nice little addition for fall and you've cleaned up what's there. And then we can go ahead and empty them out later, you know, and do our greens and our berries and everything for Christmas. So great way to kind of turn your window boxes into fall. We also, you can add a couple mums in there, you know, with the corn stalks and, and also add, you know, um, the pumpkins in, in, in that window box. So you can add a few live plants too if you want. But a nice fall mix. And this week we're spacing poinsettias. <laughs> oh, how Christmas comes so fast. We've been growing our poinsettias since probably mid-June. So, just think about that. All the energy, all the t- painstaking you know, work that goes into this beautiful poinsettia crop for Christmas, locally grown, gets another turn through our greenhouses, keeps our help employed, but we're spacing them out. And when I say spacing them out, a lot of people won't understand that. So with a poinsettia crop, you grow them all pot to pot for a long time, okay, because they don't need the space. So we start out in June. We bring in what we call unrooted cuttings. So they're these little slips that have no roots on them. We stick them in a tray. We root them, okay, and then we transplant them into their final pot, okay, whether it be a four inch, a six inch, a seven inch, an eight inch, or a ten inch pot. Then we grow them on the bench, all pot to pot, so they're packed in real nice and neat, you know, do everything we need to grow them. Then we pinch them. And when I say pinch them, we take and we actually remove the center of the plant and it makes them branch. Then they grow for a while like that, still pot to pot. And they grow a little bit more upright because they're pot to pot. So they grow in a more upright fashion so we can get them more vertical and they have less breakage, you know, later on when we're sleeving them and bringing them home, you know, they're much more marketable, I guess. So now we're spacing them out into all the greenhouses. We're giving them the room that so that when you buy that nice big plant, it's fully grown, it's got enough space, it grows beautiful on all sides, and those beautiful bracts and large and turn colors of pinks, you know, reds, whites, bicolors, painted ones, all that fun stuff. And now you're going, Tom, you're talking Christmas. I know, but I want to let you know what happens in the growing range and how far in advance we're, we've been working on all this. So it's a, it's a long time out, folks. I mean, we, we are working right straight through. And we're already booking orders for next year on perennials. Perennial liners will start arriving in February. We're not that far away. It's pretty crazy to think about that. But all those liners, those little start plants that we're buying from other other growers, 
are already been stuck. They're growing. They're rooting. They're doing all of that for us to buy them and then grow them on for you next year. So the poinsettia crops looking awesome. Okay. And again, like I talked about last, you know, week, fundraisers. We do a lot of fundraisers with poinsettias. And so if you have a nonprofit, that might be something of interest. So just want to let you know what's going on at the garden center because it's kind of kind of scary. Okay, we're always that much farther in advance. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk, WLOB. For over 60 years, Wiltproof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non-hazardous, organic, and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wiltproof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. Wiltproof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in Wiltproof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt-proof.com. Are you an organic gardener? Finally, there's a fast-working and effective all-organic insect control available from Bonide. Bonide's Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew is the answer to all your garden insect problems. Captain Jack's works two ways, on contact and when the insect feeds. This will ensure that your insect problems are over. Captain Jack's controls all types of insects, including caterpillars, beetles, spider mites, boars, and more. Use it on vegetables, flowers, berries, trees, shrubs, and fruit. Captain Jack's all-organic insect control is available in easy-to-use dust, liquid concentrate, ready-to-use and ready-to-spray containers with built-in spray applicator. Pick up some bonite Captain Jack's dead bug brew today at your local independent garden centers of Maine. Visit maineigc.com or bonide.com. Can you feel the change coming? Leaves will turn, sweaters will be rediscovered, and autumn will be upon us. Get a jump start on the season with a kaleidoscope of fall color from Estabrooks. Mix and match the texture of cabbage and kale, or beauty of fall garden mums with other fall favorites, and warm your home as the temperature cools. Winter will be here soon, so make this a fall to hold on to. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. News, sports, and weather are all just a tap away on your smartphone. Now, the gardening expertise of Estabrooks is too. With the Estabrooks mobile app for your Apple or Android device, you can earn rewards with each visit, browse thousands of plant photos and descriptions, and get answers to your gardening questions all in one place. Plus, don't miss out on exclusive in-app deals you won't find anywhere else. Visit your mobile marketplace to download the app today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook on this depressing Saturday because I'm talking about Christmas. Ah, I know. I'm going to get off of that. Let's just enjoy fall. My favorite time of year. Love the foliage. Plants are starting to turn. Ah, my garden has been really great this year, you know. And last week I talked a little bit about reflecting on your year in the garden. Reflecting and having that notepad 
reflecting as you're cleaning up and doing kind of some of your work and making some of those notes because it's a long winter and we're going to have plenty of time to think about all the things we need to do next year. But having some of those notes really does make a big difference. It really does, you know, uh, get the mind thinking, you know, hitting the internet and looking at different plants, talking with us at, at Christmas time in the garden center. You know, you come, come in to pick your Christmas tree out. Hey, there's nothing better we like than sitting there and talking about plants for next year. If there's specifics you want, what type you want, we'll call you back in January and February after the Christmas rush and we'll say, hey, we can get this size, we can get this, you know, variety. I think this would be a nice addition. It's fun for us during the winter. Okay? So think about that and spend some time as you're cleaning up and raking and just keep that notepad handy or, you know, use your handy dandy phone and it's got a notepad or whatever in there and, and it's there forever. You can say, oh, it's January. I remember putting these notes in and you hit your button and bam, there it is. I know I do that. I do that at work. I do that at home. I'll make little notepads and and uh, go back to them months later and say, oh, yeah, I remember I wanted to do that. And so I can plan kind of some of those things. So fall is a great time. Last week we talked about dividing. Last week we talked a little bit about pruning. You know, fall's also about just enjoying, okay? It's not all about work, but a little bit along the way. And so let's talk a little bit about leaves. My suggestion with leaves is don't wait until they're all in the ground to start. It's much easier if the leaves drop off the tree and there's a bunch of them underneath that one tree. Get them a few times rather than waiting for all of them to drop. Okay? Again, inventory those tools like we talked about last week. You know... I gave you that suggestion because maybe you were coming in to buy some mums and some other stuff. I'll give it again because I think it's a good opportunity. And then it's also, let's think about how are we going to winter some of these plants. Okay, so let's talk about some of the plants we had trouble with this year. Blue hydrangeas. Anybody have good success with blue hydrangeas this year? Uh Hearing no one, I will say no one. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, you know, everybody kind of struggled with it. I had some pretty good success with mine. Um, but here we are. We're at that time of year when everybody's cleaning up. So put the brakes on. Put the pruners, the Felco pruners you bought last week. Put them back in the holster. Put them in your pocket, whatever. Don't lose them. But don't prune your blue hydrangeas. Resist, 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 okay? Now, you know, a lot of people will ask me, well, should we mulch them? Should we do this? Should we do that? I'm still I'm still torn on that. I don't think so. I personally, if you wanted to put some mulch around the outer edges, that might not hurt. But don't put anything down in the crown. Here's the thing I like to do with my blue hydrangeas, and it, it's kind of been tried or true. Last year was a fluke. We had really cold weather. We had some open time frame when it was really cold. I think it's just a bad winter year. Uh, you know, I mean, blue hydrangeas didn't bloom all the way down into Virginia. So this is an environmental issue rather than how we've been treating them. So here's my rule of thumb on blue hydrangeas. Number one, do not prune them back in the fall. 
Number two, do not, I repeat, do not clean up the leaves. Oh, there's a new one. I don't know as I've said that too many times, but I do not clean up my leaves to my blue hydrangea. I let them fall down into the crown of the plant and I leave them. And there's nothing better than loose, big, dry leaves in the crown of that plant that protect that bottom foot of the plant. Now, if you have endless summer or any of the macrophyllas, if you think about it, and I'm going to kind of put a bug in your ear, right now there's probably still green leaves. They're starting to yellow, but they don't drop their leaves until late, sometime in October or early November. And we've usually done most all of the other cleanup, and you go, oh, it looks ugly. You want to go prune it off, and you want to go clean up those leaves. I agree with you. It's a little bit sightly. You know, it just doesn't, you know. It's like in the spring when you've got some of those dead tips and you just go, oh, I really want to prune them off. Just take a step back. Think of the beautiful blooms we're going to have in the summer. So leave the leaves in the crown of the plant. That is that is the the best thing that I have done for my blue hydrangeas. And even last year, I had good bloom set. And to be perfectly honest, I, I got some nice blooms in the fall here in September on my endless summer. I've got some 10-gallon in our Yarmouth store that about 10 days ago had big old blue blooms on them, and they had no flowers on them when I bought them in, I would say it was July. So what does that tell us about blue hydrangea and, and endless summer? is that it's an environmental and it's a time thing for them to bud up. And I think what we're going to find is, and and I'm going to put this out there, and please email me. Did you get some blossoms on your endless summer late in the season, like September or October? Because mine has a second round of flower buds that have formed, but I don't think they're going to make it. I think it's going to be too cold. But if it's budding on new growth, I want to know. Because I suspect it's just we don't get warm enough. Like in Minnesota, they do. And I've said this time and time again, a plant that's hybridized in one type of area doesn't always act the same. It's got specific characteristics to that area where it was hybridized. So let me know. Shoot me an email, tom at estabrooksonline.com. Let me know about your blue hydrangea. But don't prune it and don't clean the leaves. The other thing is roses. Roses took it pretty hard last year. Didn't matter if it was knockouts, drifts, hybrid teas, you know, David Austin's. We all had a little bit of damage on our roses. So what can we do? This is a plant we may want to mulch a little bit. Now, first thing we want to find out is, is the bud union above ground? And you say, what the bud, you, bud union? What? What is that? Okay, it's that little knobby ball at the base of the plant where the growth comes out of. Now, some have one and some do not. And the the difference is it's either grafted, which has a bud union, or it's on its own root, meaning the rootstock is the same as the plant growing above head. Now, a lot of roses, hybrid teas, grandifloras, David Austins, are grafted to rootstock that is not the same as the plant that is flowering in your garden. Now, does that make sense? So it's not the same plant. It's grafted, meaning a bud has been attached to the bud union, 
and then it's a different plant on the rootstock. And you say, why do they do that? Well, they do that for vigor. They do that for keeping true varieties. Some roses do not root well and do not have a vigorous enough rootstock to promote the flowering in which the hybridizers want. So they graft them. So with that being said, the biggest thing and the biggest reason why a rose dies in the winter is the bud union splits. That freezing and thawing breaks the bud union, frost and snow and ice and everything gets in there and breaks apart the bud union and boom, kills the root system. And that might be why all of a sudden you say, oh, my rose is dead, and you cut it back, and boom, a bunch of stuff comes out of the ground, and then bam, it's blooming totally different than what you thought it was. You're like, how did I get this weird rose in my garden? It's because it came up from the the rootstock, not from the living buds off the bud union. So if you have a bud union, which is easy to tell, go to our website, there's rose planting instructions on there. It will show you a picture of what the bud union looks like. You should have planted it below grade, the bud union. If you did not, then we need to mulch up around the crown of the plant. So we're going to take some bark mulch and we're going to mound it up around and protect. And then we may add a rose cone or whatnot on the top. Personally, I can't stand looking at a cardboard or a styrofoam thing out there with a block on it or whatever all winter. I just, for me, roses, if they're not hardy enough to survive and with just a little bit of mulching, then why bother? It, it you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but we don't sell any hybrid teas. We don't sell any grandifloras. We don't sell any of those anymore because I just don't feel like it's the right environment for them here in Maine. And, you know, people come in and they'll ask for Dolly Parton and, you know, all these old-fashioned, you know, roses that we used to carry years and years ago. But we've had so many problems. And now the new roses, the new shrub roses that are on the market, you know, they just do so much better. So mulching up around the crown is a good thing. Now your knockouts and stuff like that, you shouldn't have to do much. Again, I think it was more environmental last year. I mean, we just had a super crazy cold. I haven't checked out the Farmer's Almanac yet. I don't know what we're, what what they're talking, but boy, I'll tell you, they're usually pretty close. They usually hit it pretty close, nail on the head, you know, number of storms, how cold it's going to be. They said it was going to be a cold winter last year. Let's see what this year brings. But doing a few of these things. The other thing with roses is it might be that opportunity like we talked about last week, put the four stakes in the ground. And put that burlap around. So get those stakes in the ground. And with rows, they're not that tall. So you can use a two-foot stake. And you don't have to... The burlap doesn't have to be that tall either. So it doesn't have to be as sightly, you know. Um, The other thing, you've got these wonderful kind of uh, little shelters we sell. They're green or brown. They're kind of a woven material. They keep the wind off. So you might look at one of those if you just have one or two plants. Simple, easy collapse for storage. But now's the time we got to start thinking about protecting all of our plants for winter. Not waiting until October or November. Pull out those structures that you have in the garage. Inspect them, you know, like I said last week. You know, there's a lot of damage and a lot of heavy snow. You know, maybe you just yanked them off the plants in the spring last year and 
there's nothing worse than going to do a project and forgetting that, oh, I forgot that heavy snow. I had to rake it all off the roof and they're all beat up and the hinges are broken and I really need to replace those. And think about looking at that stuff. I'm not saying you put it on now by any means, but take a look at it. So there's some protection stuff we can think about now. And, you know, there's a bunch of other tender plants. But last but not least, to protect your plants. We are at that time frame where everybody gets lackadaisical about water. Everybody, including myself. I'll go out and I'll look outside and I'll go, oh, that plant's wilting. Ah, jeez, I thought it was cool. thought we got enough rain. I thought we, you know, no. At this point in the season, we still should be watering once or twice a week. Okay, even if the plant isn't wilting, just think about the stress factor in overwintering. And specifically, if you've divided any plants and moved them, also if you've added some new perennials, because, you know, this time of year we're getting to that time frame where you could be coming into the garden center and you might be buying some bleeding hearts. And they don't have anything in the pot. There's no foliage. The root system's in there. They look, they'll be beautiful next year. But we get lackadaisical. Ah, they don't need any water. The biggest problem with plants overwintering, like delphinium, bleeding hearts, lupin, poppies, All those things that we can tend to have a tough time, a lot of times we forget about watering them because they've gone dormant. Now, I'm not talking about real established plants. I'm talking about new stuff. Okay? So maybe your poppies went dormant in the summer. Now they're starting to put on some foliage, which is common for them. Don't be alarmed. Delphinium. Maybe you cut them back because their blossoms are all passed by. Don't forget about them. This is when putting a mum in that area or putting a cabbage and kale in that area where you're going to need to water them periodically, but not that often. But if you see the mum wilting, you know the other plants are going to need water. So enough about the sermon on water. Just be conscious of the fact that plants need to continue. I put 19 apple trees in this year, and I'm continuing to water. A lot of them have dropped a large portion of their leaves, but once a week, I'm still giving them a drink. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy Gardening on Newstalk WLOB. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. 
Can you feel the change coming? Leaves will turn, sweaters will be rediscovered, and autumn will be upon us. Get a jump start on the season with a kaleidoscope of fall color from Estabrooks. Mix and match the texture of cabbage and kale, or beauty of fall garden mums with other fall favorites, and warm your home as the temperature cools. Winter will be here soon, so make this a fall to hold on to. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we're talking fall. You know, I'm getting lackadaisical with water and, you know, all that maintenance. You know, it's been a long growing season. We have had some of the best weather I can remember in years, and it's been such a good growing season. And, you know, pretty much growing seasons come to an end. You know, I think the big thing is just understanding that there still is more time to the planting season. You know, and, and there's a big distinction there. Because when you do come into the garden center, you're not worried about does it have perfect blooms. You're not worried about does it have perfect shape. You're not worried about all of those things. The thing to me is ask the questions of the garden center you're going to. Is this plant going to leaf out well next year? You know, how, how, what do I need to ensure that it's going to do well? Ask the questions, and believe me, I plant a lot in the fall, and I have very, very few problems. And it's just knowing the few tips and techniques of root stimulator, good fertilizer, you know, when I say fertilizer, root stimulator in the fall, and just consistent moisture. Mother Nature is working on our side. Mother Nature will tell these plants to root, okay? So as we get later on in the season, we will kind of change the way we treat plants, though. As we get into October, we're planting them, but there's not going to be a ton of rooting, which is fine, okay? But that changes what we do in the spring, okay? We treat them a little bit differently in the spring. We water and fertilize them a little bit differently in the spring the later you plant into the season. Obviously, the later you go into the season, the less variety you have to choose from. So come in now, and some of our last orders are coming in for the year. We can custom order just about anything this time of year, or we can plan for next year if we can't get it. So start the conversation. The other thing is we need to start thinking about having some of that wilt proof on the shelf, you know, having some of those things, those repellents, and some of those ready at the time you need them. Have them at the house, okay? So think about that repels all, the deer stopper. Think about the wilt proof. You know, think about the all-season oil. Maybe you had some scale problems. Remember we talked about that, about maybe the magnolia, you know, or a few other plants. You know, all those smothering insects, you know, if you have leaf roller, on viburnum, and you get it every year. Now's a perfect time. The leaves are starting to drop. As soon as the leaves are dropped off the plants, dormant oil is the best thing you can do for your plants. It will knock out all the eggs that were on those stems for next year. And it's very environmentally friendly. And, you know, the nice the nice thing about all-season oil, which they, they call all-season oil, is you have a dormant 
recommendation, and you have a summer recommendation. Now we're at the dormant, which is much stronger and smothers all those eggs, egg casings. So if you have specific problems that happen year after year, this is by far the best way to get rid of them because you have no leaves on the plant. You can spray all the stems down. You can smother all those eggs for next year, and you will knock probably your problem down by 90 to 95%. So it's a great tool, and this time of year, it's you don't have to use much product because there's no leaves. It's just the stems. So think about doing some of that, and then, of course, you know, be careful about your houseplants. This is the time when you start to fester problems. So take a look at those, do some of the systemic granules and other things. But let's get to some questions because, you know, this is why we do the show, is I take a lot of times the questions that I hear in the Garden Center, but also the ones that are submitted to our website, estherbrooksonline.com backslash radio. So this one is a common, common, common question. How is the best way to calculate how much soil or mulch I need for creating a new garden? You know, it's not tough, but it's just, it's a question that comes up. Time and time again, and nine times out of ten, the customer comes to buy the soil and doesn't have the right information. So the first place you start is taking measurements, is basically square footage, length times width. Now, a lot of things, well, how do I figure that exactly? Because I've got a curved garden, and it's not exactly square, and just square it off. It doesn't have to be that close. But what we'll do is we'll figure it out, and then we'll either round up a little bit or round down a little bit. Let me tell you, folks, you never have too much. (laughs) You know, these products never go as far as you think they're going to go. And the reason being is you can say, okay, I have X amount of square footage, and I want to put it at 2 inches deep. And you go and spread it, and it's 3 inches deep. How do you get it exactly at 2 inches? You don't. It's very tough to do that. So with that being said, how do you exactly figure out? You you know, it's tough. So on our mobile app, there's a calculator. Okay, you can go there. You can go to our website. You can bring your measurements in and we'll figure it out at the register. But it's basically length times width times depth. We'll give you your square yardage. Okay. Now, it's never cut and dry, okay? And we may ask some questions. So the big thing is make sure you got your length, your width, and the de- the general depth. Now, maybe one end of the bed is 12 inches and the other end is three. So we'll go with nine. You know, we'll make some generalizations. You can't, you know, you could probably really get real technical with it if you want. But I think, you know, the big thing is, now on the mobile app, the calculator is under the rewards. It's right at the top, okay? So when you click on your rewards, there should be a little thing right at the top that says mortgage calculator, not mortgage calculator. That would be great if I could pay everybody's mortgage, but it's the same type of formulation in there. But it'll give you your square feet and all of that, and it'll tell you exactly approximately how many yards you need. If you need help, come in. 
okay? The general rule of thumb on bark mulch, okay, is I like to say 150 square feet per yard at two inches. At four inches, I drop it down to 80. And you say, well, why, why isn't it exactly half? Because at four inches, we tend to put a little bit heavier down. At two inches, we tend to actually go a little bit light. Okay, at four inches, we're putting it down pretty thick, and you might get some at three inches and some at five, and, you know, it's just generally that's what it works out to, okay? And that's pretty close, okay? Now, all new beds, if you're putting in a new garden, we usually recommend the first time around four inches. After that, two inches. You're just freshening it up, maybe even an inch, if you're using neutral mulch, I probably would say one inch to three inches, depending on. So we can go a little bit less because it's a little bit more ground and fine, and it spreads a little easier. Now, neutral mulch, we are sold out of at this point. Okay, we're not doing any more this fall. And neutral mulch, if you folks don't under, know what that is, it's, it's a mixture of, of half compost, half mulch. And if you go to the mobile app, maybe there's some also some delivery specials. Also, you know, maybe you buy a few yards, you get free delivery. You know, we got all kinds of deals on there. So download the mobile app. But generally, that is how you figure out how much bark mulch. Now, a lot of times people will say, oh, I've got these brand new raised beds and I don't know how. Same thing. It's the same exact thing. So you take your length times your width times the depth of the boards. That'll give you how many yards. The big thing is when you're putting it in there, don't pack it in. Yardage, you know, is somewhat variable depending on how packed it is. And if you start getting in there and stomping down on the soil, you're going to need more soil. And also with soil, we want it to be light and fluffy. We like air in our soil. So when building raised beds, which this time of year is awesome, I'm going to stress one thing. If you have any type of loam or loam compost like super soil or anything like that that you want this fall or you have a project that you want to do in the spring, think about it. If we have a wet spring, you're not getting that until probably sometime in May, maybe late April. So if you can build your beds now, if you need to add compost to your vegetable garden, do it now. Why? Because in the spring, with road postings and product being wet, last year a lot of product was late. I mean, we had such a cold, wet spring, heavy snow. A lot of people couldn't get projects going early because they couldn't get the loam. They couldn't get their vegetable, their new vegetable garden in because we couldn't get loam. So now's a great time to think about building those raised beds and putting the soil in there. And also the soil kind of settles out. So if you need to add a little compost or something to it the following spring, you buy a few bags. Not a big deal. Okay? So think about prepping, you know, for some new gardens for next spring, even if you're not planting this fall. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy Gardening on News Talk WLOB.
You know, if I could just find one product that would control my insect problems on my house plants, around the outside of my house, on my lawn, in my flower beds, and my vegetable garden. Hmm. Ma'am, Bonide has the answer. What? Bonide's 8 insect control is effective against more than 100 insects that destroy trees, shrubs, lawns, flowers, vegetables, and fruit. Use 8 to eliminate ticks, fleas, ants, and other home-invading pests. It can even be used indoors on houseplants. Wow. 8 kills on contact and repels insects for up to 30 days. 8 is available in dust concentrate and in convenient ready to use and ready to spray formulations with built-in hose and sprayer really find bonide eight insect control at your local independent garden centers of maine visit maineigc.com or bonide.com thank you ma'am for your time thank you at highway speeds the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds that's enough time to travel the length of a football field Stop texts, stoprex.org. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estbrook. I'm Tom Estbrook. Another Saturday winding down. I'll wrap up with another question. This is a great question. Are the new ceramic pots that say frostproof on them really able to be kept outside during the winter or is this really just another ploy to sell more ceramic pots? <laughs> That's a great question because I, I, you know, I see these things with stickers on them and you know all of that, and yeah, maybe in Virginia, you know, would be my answer. Okay, so are they frostproof? Yeah, they're frostproof. Are they freezeproof? Heck, no. Okay, so when it comes to ceramics, and we're getting to that time of year. You know, you've obviously got, you know, mums and other things. And they're fine probably right into, you know, late October. You know, the likelihood is, you know, most of your ceramics are going to sustain pretty well, even with some frozen stuff in them. It's the winter months when they freeze and thaw, freeze and thaw. That's when we get into trouble. So these new frostproof, what I do like about them is they are better than our old ceramics. They take more abuse, though with any sealant on a ceramic, it's only as good as keeping water out. And over time, I think what you're going to find is they're going to be no better. And if you look at them, they're really no difference in price. So my suggestion is, hey, if you buy them, that's great. It's an added value. But I still wouldn't treat them any differently. Speaking of pots, our pottery is all on sale. Okay, so 40% off. Good deals. Great if you're thinking about repotting some of those houseplants. Okay, great time of year. You know, the houseplants are trying to reestablish and also reacclimate into the house. And it's not just the houseplants that you're, you put out during the summer. All of those houseplants that are indoors now with our shorter days and, you know, things cooling off... Be cautious about those windows at night. You know, I, I know it's really nice, you know, to have that cool temperature and, and everything, but think of your houseplants a little bit. When we start getting into the low 40s, high 30s, and you have those windows open, and yeah, you put the sweater on and the extra bathrobe and everything when you get up, but think about how cold those houseplants are getting. And this will also 
change their acclimation because what you'll do is you'll go from having all those windows open and it's cool at night to we shut it all up and we turn the heat to 70 and run it all night. So they go from having consistently cooler temperatures every night and then, bam, you finally get fed up and you say, I'm turning the heat on. I'm done. That's when we run into problems with that change with houseplants, okay? And also change with your plants in general indoors. Maybe it's herbs. Maybe it's other things you have growing on the windowsill. Great time to think about starting some of your winter herbs and and, uh, maybe some lettuce, you know, I know there's a big movement out there for all of those things. And, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, it's not a bad thing if you want to grow some microgreens and have a real fresh salad in the winter. Hey, it's kind of cool. I might try it out this winter. But a whole host of different things out there. Let's face it. We're in the thick of fall now, folks. Okay. A lot of time still left to plant. Selection might be getting a little tight. Some of our last orders are arriving. So come on in and see us, you know, if you need to order anything. And, you know, overall, get out there and enjoy fall. You know, take a hike. Go to a nice park. Uh, Go apple picking. Get outdoors because you know what's coming. You know what's coming. I talked about poinsettias this week. Okay? It's coming. Make those plans. Come in and see us and enjoy the wonders of fall. Enjoy all that foliage. Take a drive up the coast. You know, it's not all about work. It's all about enjoying your garden and enjoying your world. I hope you have a great Saturday. Get out there and enjoy your garden.